Our scripture for this morning is the story of the triumphal entry in Matthew, chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. Listen to the word of God. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her and tie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Then the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray. Lord, guide us once again as we think upon your word. As we consider what you are doing to impact our lives with it. Our world with it. Our understanding and our hearts. God, guide us, guide my words, guide all of our hearts and minds as we stand before your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I was looking back at past Palm Sunday sermons as I was preparing for this message this morning, and one stood out, and it wasn't so much for its content as for its occasion. And I... It was one of the very first weeks of COVID. And I preached it from a makeshift office in, at home in my son Sam's attic room. He had gotten stranded in Fresno when he was on spring break from college and was visiting some friends when the students were told that they couldn't come back to campus. And we, we couldn't come back to church. Remember that? And, and Holy Week was upon us. And here we go. So I preached live from my son's bedroom. And I preached a number of sermons from there after that. It's been a, it's been a challenging few years. Then for our world, for our country, and for the church. Both churches around the country and world. And, and honestly, for New Hope. And for us, even just that simple condition of being in transition, any transition, that's hard. It's a, it's a vulnerable place to be. And for most of us, 
there have been occasions and seasons and times during this period, these last few years, where things have seemed especially bleak and, and especially dark. And, and we get frightened in the dark. And we rem- rem- I remember how frightening those first weeks of COVID were with everything being locked down and we started hearing the stories and the devastation. And then all the changes since that time, we've lived through different crises of, of jobs and finances and health and relationships. And through it all, we've looked for courage within ourselves and from others. And through it all, our faith has been challenged. There have been times when it's hard to see where is God in this. Where, when we question where is God when our world is falling apart or even just changing. And it's a question that have, people have been asking ourselves. We've been asking it ourselves from ourselves ever since Adam and Eve ate the fruit in the garden and wondered where God was. And certainly, the Israelites, the time that this was written, under, first under Greek rule and now under Roman rule, had been asking for God to show up for centuries. It's a part of our experience in a fallen world to ask ourselves, what is going on here, God? Why aren't you showing up? And I hope... Ultimately, for all of us, our deepest, more, our, our deepest motivations for showing up on a Sunday morning is a hunger and a thirst for God, for God to show up. Jesus is the God who shows up. This passage and the whole New Testament is about the God who shows up. He showed up as a child born to a virgin in an undistinguished village in the corner of the world. Emmanuel, God with us. He shows up years later, now as an adult, being baptized by John with a voice from heaven that says, this is God's beloved son with whom he is well pleased. And then he began to minister deliverance and healing and and preaching good news to those who need it, to, to everyone. Later this week, we'll see how he shows up as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, our Savior who died for us and for our sin. And then a few days after that, rose from the dead, triumphant, over sin and death. But today, today he shows up as king in Jesus. There are two key words in this passage that proclaim Jesus as the king, coming to take his throne as he enters into Jerusalem. And in these words and in his entry, we'll see three things about Jesus as our king. We're going to see his authority as the king. We'll see his unique nature as the true and final king. And finally, we'll see his power to change us and to change everything as king. 
First, we see his authority as king in that first word and phrase upon his entry. And it's the word that's most associated with Palm Sunday, with this day. It's the word Hosanna. Hosanna. Hosanna at its root, and it's an old Hebrew term meaning help. Please, save us. And Hosanna over the centuries and as it had been transliterated into Greek and Aramaic, it had changed its meaning and became a term of an acclamation associated with the arrival of the king to take his throne. Think about it. The king's coming. This is the person who can help you. And it becomes a term of welcome and celebration and submission because this is the king who comes to save you. He's here. And in this passage, it's, it's more than just welcoming any old king. Hosanna to the son of David. This is the king they have been promised and waiting for already for a thousand years since David. And this is the one who will reign forever. The messianic king. And not just of Israel, but this is the promised blessing through the people of Israel to everyone. This is the ultimate king of the entire world of everything. Now, king and kingdom is a theme that we worked through a couple of months ago and and as we talked about the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. The king and the kingdom of heaven. Claiming to be a king is a pretty dramatic claim to authority. Any claim to authority threatens other competing claims and it challenges our own autonomy when people claim to have authority. And every society and community and individual has to decide how they are going to respond to any claim of authority, and especially this kind of claim to authority. Now, us Americans, we have the words of Patrick Henry nearly in our DNA when, we, when he responds to King George's claims of authority by saying, give me liberty or give me death. And it's nearly our first reaction with any of these kinds of dramatic claims. And this isn't so much uniquely an American reaction as it is a human since the fall reaction. Our first reaction is to bristle at anyone telling us they have authority over us. At the very least, we're going to want to know more about their intentions and their motivations and about their, their source for that claim to authority. Now... We may buy their proclaimed intentions and motivations when they are running for an elected office, but that doesn't work so much with kings. That's not how they're coming at us. No one is elected as king. And no king is asking for our permission or our vote. Their, their claim to authority may have come through ancestry. It may have come through force. But both Western and Eastern clean kings have, have claimed their position. Ultimately, they often claim it by divine right. 
It was given to them by God. And they're simply using the authority that God has given them to rule. Now, Americans have been disabused of this notion because we've seen that virtually every king has blown it in regards to representing God. If they are representing God's authority, they haven't done it very well. And that's not just King George against whom we have rebelled. Even ancient kings of Israel, they didn't live out that call. They didn't get it just right. So who would? Who would truly be that king? And what would that even look like? Because, in fact, there was a promise to David long ago, a thousand years before, that there would be a king on the throne authorized by God forever. This is him. Hosanna to the son of David. A real, final, perfect king. So, what would that kind of king look like? What would we expect? I think for most of us, we'd expect the, the most glorious, huge, world-ending entry to take that uh, enthronement. That's not what happens here. This is a unique king. Jesus' nature as king is unlike no others. It's clear that those welcoming him into Jerusalem that day had expectations of the nature of his rule, that they, they thought his authority was going to displace the oppressive reign of Caesar, of the Romans. They saw this as primarily a political issue. But by the end of the week, most of them are going to be pretty disappointed that his reign didn't look like what they had expected it to look like. But Jesus comes as a very different kind of king. He comes gentle, riding on a donkey. On the one hand, this is a fulfillment of an old prophecy of the prophet Zechariah. On the other hand, kings don't ride donkeys. Servants ride donkeys. If a king rode a donkey into a battle, it would not go well for him. But in riding a donkey, we see the gospel. We see the good news. We see in Jesus the king who does not hold on to the status of equality with God as something to be grasped held on to, but he empties himself. If if sin is us who are mortal grasping at being God, at putting ourselves into the position of king, Jesus is king who puts himself in the place of a servant. A servant who by the end of the week will die on a cross for us and for our sin. And we are saved. Not just by him becoming a conquering hero, but in his weakness, his mortality, his simple faithfulness, and by his grace. 
it is confounding to us, this paradox of this king, of power and humility. And that gets us to the last thing to see about the God King who shows up in this passage. He changes everything. There's another key word in this passage. It is the word blessed. Blessed. Blessed is another word that takes us a few months back earlier in Matthew to the Beatitudes. Remember this? Blessed. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And here, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Tim Keller writes about that word. Where you see the word blessedness, substitute ultimate meaning. Endless riches. Profoundest personal fulfillment personal and social revolution. All of these things. And if you don't know the king, they are forever beyond your reach. That's the blessed of the king. That's what he's saving us with and saving us for. That's his blessing. I started all this with how hard the last few years have been for all of us and the, and the challenge to our faith that that hardship has been and the ensuing question, where is God? When is he going to show up? I was, I was listening just last night to a podcast speaking of there being spot fires of revival in our country and around the world. Spot fires of revival. I thought that was an interesting way to put it. Places where God is showing up in a significant way for a period of time. And, and the person was wondering if, if this is a precursor of God doing something significant in the coming season of our world. And this speaker who was in on the Jesus movement in the 70s in Southern California went to reflect on what is happening and how the church and the Western world had become so much about formulas and processes, about how to do church right to be most effective. And that we'd, in doing all that and becoming so focused on it, we'd, we'd forgotten our first love, our first desire. And that, that flame had seemed to be dimming. And then COVID came along and, and blocked us from doing church our way. And we came back to asking the question again that we started with, God, where are you? And we begun to remember what it is we are doing here in the first place. We want to come to a place and be with people where God is with us. We, we just want God to show up. This is a day, Palm Sunday is a day to look back on and see that he has and that he does show up. And when the king, when God shows up, we respond with faith. 
when we are in times of plenty and in fullness, we meet Jesus as king and we are confronted by his authority and brought to a place of remembering we are sinners in, in, in need of grace. And we remember he's the king and not us. And we have the joy of relinquishing the throne to him. And when we are in times of need and vulnerability, such as times that we've been in, the season we've been in as a world, we see the gentleness of Jesus, his love and salvation for us, this one who rode in on a donkey. And we trust him, for he is our gentle king. And we face the hardest of days, whatever is going on, not by our own strength or our status, by our expertise, but by his presence, by his strength, by his love and salvation in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, this is a day, a day of pomp and circumstance in you coming in and a crowd coming together and cutting limbs and taking off coats and laying them before you as you enter and then crying out phrases that they've heard for generations and passed on but are now there prepared for you. Hosanna to the son of David. You are here and you've come to take the throne. You take it in such a way that we could never have imagined by being lifted up on a cross and then, and then an empty tomb. And we find in you all the help, all the salvation we will ever need and the king we've always longed for. God, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.